it's another episode of Pod9 from that space. Cue the music. A lone US astronaut pitted against all the odds beyond this Earth. Robinson Crusoe on Earth. No, wait, sorry, on Mars. Robinson Crusoe on Mars. I will admit they they did what they said on the tin in this one. Yes. Although, is he called Robinson? No, he's called Chris Draper, which is the name of someone we know, which was weird. So weird. But, um... Yeah, it is certainly a Robinson Crusoe story on what we call that happy red orb. Although I think it's better than the original Robinson Crusoe because he has a monkey friend. He does have a monkey friend. Mona, played by Barney the Woolly Monkey. MVP. Monkey valuable player. <laughs> I, just, I don't know why they decided to give him a monkey. I guess like it's someone to talk to so it's not all like internal monologue. When you say not sure why they gave him a monkey, do you mean like in a The like... filmmakers. Okay. Like the 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 in universe reason for the monkey is, you know, monkeys get sent to space for experimental purposes. And sometimes just because we feel like it. And he is friends with Mona. Yes. As a touching friendship. That transcends species. But also, like I say, beyond giving him someone to talk to who isn't going to be an extra character, I don't really see why he had the monkey, why he couldn't just do a log or something. Mm. I think, well, it does, there is, um, it does come in handy later on in that, um, when he's looking for sources of water and things like that, the monkey's able to to find it doesn't seem to be wanting um, wanting any water from him, so he knows that there's another another source somewhere. That's true, because she's a lot more adventurous than he is. He just kind of hangs out in his cave waiting for death, mm. and she's just like, "Well, I'm gonna go find some food." Yeah, because I guess because I'm a monkey. Yeah, an animal's just gonna roll with it. And she probably makes... doesn't even know she's in space. Probably not. Just just went inside a very, very wobbly building for a while, and now she's out again. That's what spaceships are. Wobbly buildings. Does Mona move. think that this is an apoc- a post-apocalyptic story? Oh. Oh, that's a good question. Because monkeys probably don't have a concept of being on a different planet. Did she just... She got into this enclosed space mm. and when she came out it was all barren rock I think we really need to examine the psychology of Mona the monkey well maybe that's why they sent Mona into space like how are you going to vibe with this <laughs> will you vibe at all will there be no vibes because space is a vacuum and therefore devoid of vibes Saying about vacuums, though, I did find it interesting that they gave Mars 
enough atmosphere that Mona's fine, but not enough that the human is fine. Mm. I think that was a, a quite a fun move because we're not worried about Mona's safety at any point. No, we're not. And frankly, we were more interested in the monkey than the human. Yeah. Because he he doesn't really have any characterization, apart from later when he's just like weirdly racist to this alien guy. Mm. He's like, well, I could try and learn your language, but instead I'm going to insist that you speak English. Yeah. We're we're on Mars, buddy. Speak English. Yeah. It's like, I feel like it would be more useful, considering he's hoping for some sort of rescue at some point, mm. for him to learn this alien language. Yeah, it's a first contact scenario, and you don't want to learn about another species. Why? I think the answer to why is, this was made in the 60s. <laughs> why? And I mean, the source material is quite racist in itself. Yeah. So again, does what it says on the tin. Yeah, we were just relieved that the replacement for Friday wasn't the monkey. Yeah. So we thought it we might thought be it going would in. be for a while, especially when she found the water. Yeah. But instead it was... Um... So he's part of one group of aliens that were enslaved by another group of aliens. Yeah. But then he escaped... But the uh, the other aliens' attitude is not well. It's just one left on a barren rock on his own, so we'll just leave him there to die. It's let's send multiple spaceships to shoot him. Well, of course. Why wouldn't you? I just I don't understand. Hmm. Just a sign they care. It would have just been so much cheaper to just leave him on Mars and then just assume that Mars killed him. We know there isn't enough atmosphere for someone to survive beyond a few hours. Mm. Maybe he's just a really corking guy. Actually, that said, he did steal some pills that let him breathe on Mars. Oh. But eventually he would have run out. So yes. again, like from the perspective of... The slaver aliens, they're kind of idiots. He's the only one who can assemble flat pack furniture. Oh shit. And everything they bought is from Ikea and they accidentally got it from the Ikea in Stockholm so it's just got Swedish instructions. And he does actually speak Swedish, but the astronaut doesn't so he never found out. It wasn't relevant to Chris <laughs> Draper's journey. What if he wasn't speaking an alien language? What if he was speaking Swedish? <laughs> I mean, nobody knows what Swedish sounds like, so... Could be. Could be. Interesting performances. I, I think that up until uh, the Friday substitutes came along, I was I was rooting for the, the astronaut because it was... He had this kind of nice, friendly, casual chat manner that you see in a lot of castaway films. Mm. But then as soon as the alien guy showed up, I can't remember if he has a name. 
Yeah, just Friday. Yeah. Played by Victor London. And But Dra- Draper just goes, Yeah, your name's Friday now because I read Robinson Crusoe. Yep. Such imagination. Yeah. I've forgotten what I was saying about him. Um, we were we were liking the the main character until he turned. Oh up. yeah, because as soon as Friday shows up, he's just like, "Well, you need to speak English, and entirely obey everything that I say at all times." It's like you know that he's escaped from enslavement, and you're gonna do this. You're the worst. Yeah. I, I wish that Mona had just fixed up the spacecraft and escaped. Which, you know, would be satisfying on a moral level and also just awesome. Yeah. And then reveals that this whole time Mona was a far more intelligent alien race <laughs> hiding in secret on Earth. And then it turns into Planet of the Apes. I am Mona, ruler of my kind. And I deem you unworthy. You know the worst part of Draper and Friday's interaction, though? What? Is when Friday rescues him near the end. Which I think does also happen in Robinson Crusoe. Mm. Spoilers for a 301-year-old book. Which I think is the oldest spoiler warning we've done yet. Oh, yeah. He rescues him. And Draper's like, oh, you're so nice, you saved me. Now let's get back to you working for me. Yeah. It's like... I can't work out if it's meant to be a redemption that he's slightly less harsh to him now. Hmm. But it probably is because it's based on Robinson Crusoe and also made in the 60s. Yeah. One thing that I think really really weighs this whole thing down, like you said, because it's being based on... Robinson Crusoe and being made in the 60s, which doesn't help, is that Robinson Crusoe itself is based on this rather large body of um, of embellished travel literature going back another couple centuries, start like starting around like 1500 or so with Nash and other people just being like, ah yes, I travelled into the New World and whatnot, and people were savage and bad and weird and People, I think, just started to exaggerate more and and embellish more to become more popular, mm. and then you and then know... you get the noble savage trope, which births Robinson Crusoe. It's like, oh, but yeah. this guy's nice, not like all these other people who don't like him because he's nice. Yeah. Just as a as a quick side note, I spent this whole t- this whole time thinking about um, J M Coates's uh, foe. Which is a, a retelling of, um, yeah, retelling of it from the perspective of it was actually um, it was actually a woman who crashed um, crashed a ship onto an island and had a more sympathetic relationship with Friday, but then told her story to to this author who completely screwed around with it and made it this very colonialist kind of thing. That's incredibly believable. Yeah. I that's... hate how believable it is. <laughs> yeah. It is a very interesting, very interesting book. And I thought, I can't do a Robinson Crusoe episode without mentioning that particular uh, take on it. 
Can we get that on Mars instead? That sounds more interesting. A foe on Mars. Yeah. Which just sounds like a, a bad translation of some kind of bad Italian sci-fi film. Which I now want to exist. Yeah, I'd watch that. Mm. But, I mean, there's one thing this podcast has proven, it's that I'll watch anything. Oh, yeah. Hello, I'm Mod, I'm Mod Paper from Probably Bad RPG Ideas, and we have a podcast. If you'd like to hear RPG advice on how to use assorted incredibly bad ideas as actual ideas in an actual game, then listen to the Probably Bad podcast, available on pretty much every podcatcher. And remember to have a probably bad day. Hi, I'm Hazel, and I make a podcast with Liz called Bread and Thread, which you might enjoy if you are a fan of food or clothes or other interesting parts of domestic history. We find out interesting facts about things like regional foods, ancient breeds of sheep, um, pretty much anything domestic history. So if you'd like to know why it's illegal to import a sheep into Iceland, and what was presented by Queen Victoria to Harriet Tubman, then you might want to check out Bread and Thread. Find us at Bread and Thread on Twitter, or find us everywhere podcasts exist. <laughs> so Adam West is in this. He certainly is. Mostly as a nightmare zombie. For the most part, yes. It's um, you know, a, a more restrained performance, I feel, than some of his others. But having said that, like, I don't want to rag on him because the '60s Batman stuff is supposed to be comedy. Yeah, I mean, the '60s Batman stuff is great. Yeah, which. I I find I find it funny just tangentially how people can can kind of go oh my god I can't believe they they uh, tried to pull this stuff off like come on this was the decade that Star Trek and Doctor Who started people knew how to make proper serious um, and like compelling genre stuff they were going for funny yeah. Whereas this, I feel, is trying to be serious, compelling genre stuff. Mm. And ends up with just rooting for the monkey. Yes. Don't... I feel that's that's the problem. If if you want to make me care about the humans, you swap, you swap the actors around, you make Adam West the lead. Because I think Adam West could act opposite a monkey and make me care about both of them. He's actually quite good at serious stuff. Yeah. I can believe that. Wait, is it is or was? I don't actually know. I remember him being fairly alive recently. He's guest starred in fairly recent shows as himself. I'm afraid it is was. Oh. Twenty seventeen. Rip. What a guy. I enjoyed the background art in this. There were some very good map paintings. I think we were saying watching it that like it's slightly tacky, but we would love to have we would love to have some actual sort of map paintings from films, like mm. as prints. Yes. 
And I think... I mean, obviously some Star Wars stuff. Yes. But also the sort of water pools where they spend a lot of time in this. Mm. They're just so pretty. If you've ever seen um, kind of red sandstone. Yes. It's very much like that. I don't know how common it is. It's kind of reasonably specific in the UK at least. Mm. But it looked a lot like sort of red sandstone valleys and it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's great. I think one one thing I really really like the idea of is just getting that as just wallpaper so you can have it across a big space. That would be incredibly tacky. Yes. Not even in a fun way. That's why you only do that kind of stuff in your, in your home cinema. Ah, because it's dark most of the time you're in there. Yes. <laughs> it's it's certainly a concept. Oh yeah, a good concept. Is it? I think so. Maybe. Could be. I don't know. I don't know either. Actually, I I haven't even mentioned the whole um, very thorough scientific way he goes about trying to survive. Like learning that rocks, there's some oxygen in the rocks, and breaking them up to, to get stuff. Um, finding, like when he's not despairing, he is, is really learning how the world works. That's true. He's making a lot of notes and kind of making fun, of the NASA scientists who were like. Ah, well, this is how you survive in space. And he was like, oh, that's not right at all, you idiots. Yeah. Making all these notes is like, if I survive this, I'm going to have words. Mm. We understand that on on some planets, water may be scarce. Oh, yeah, really? Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> oh, well done, Professor. In that voice, obviously. Pretty much. Yeah. And I love the way there's a specific thing he does. I mentioned earlier that he tries to follow Mona to find a water source. Gives her a kind of salty cracker. So um, she'll immediately want to go off and find her water source and replenish. So that that's how he he works it out. And I think that is that is a good a good strategy on, on the whole, just follow what the animals do because they've they spend more time thinking about how not to die. Mm. Mona spends none of the film yelling at NASA. No. Because she's got more important things to think about. Yeah, I mean, she could have done. But, yeah. To be fair, we don't see her for a lot of it because she's off with the water. Yeah. So maybe she's got it out of her system by the time we see her again. She found a payphone and uh, called Collect to Cape Canaveral. I mean, we do know Maslow's hierarchy of needs. The bottom level is food, water, yelling at NASA. Yeah, I often yell at NASA, whether it's warranted or not. It's always warranted. Nerds. Yeah, (laughs) those clowns at NASA. What are they doing? Oh, you're you're sending a tube up in the sky. Why are you sending it to space? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like that exists. So what did we learn from Robinson Crusoe on Mars? I learned that you should follow the monkeys. Always follow the monkeys. 
I learned that you probably shouldn't adapt Robinson Crusoe unless you're going to do some sort of interesting commentary on racism. Yeah, like full. I don't think this gets many camp points. No. It was pretty well done. Yeah, there's and nothing... a pretty grounded story, even if that ground was red. Yeah, I really like seeing um, grounded space stories. It's... I, f I feel like there's there's a kind of scale, and it, it lands closer to gravity than to interstellar. Yeah, I think we were discussing, sort of, I'm not sure if it's an established thing or not, but I think you could describe this very much as low sci-fi. Kind of like low fantasy. It's not big, exciting space battles, it's just, it's a story that happens to take place on Mars. Yeah. Because that's the current milieu. Are you judging me for saying milieu? Only a little bit. Okay. No more than usual. Fantastic. So, what do we think the next film is going to be? I was thinking might return to one of my favourites. Ooh. One of Clint Eastwood's first film appearances. Oh. Tarantula. Nice. Which I will tease with just my favourite line. Hey, isn't that an isotope? We'll see you then. Mm.